And it comes back to, are we doing it well enough? Are we doing the right yeah. thing? How well is- are we really doing it? And that's where I think we get into some of the potential hiccups or bumps in the road or twists and turns. I think one of those pieces we wanted to talk about, uh, DPU uh, produced a report that effectively allowed natural gas, which may not necessarily even be natural, but that's beside the point, back into the plants in order to produce the electricity. It's like, wait a sec. <laughs> I mean, to, use, to, to push your baseball analogy, not everyone's a baseball fan, but it's like, we, you know, in terms of the roadmap, we need to be hitting 0.999, right? 380 is not going to cut it. We need, it's like, we need to hit home run every time we get on... Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet, WFPR.FM and the Franklin Mass area, FM dial at 102.9. Here today on another, well, another day. It happens to be a Tuesday. So happy Tuesday, Ted. Happy Tuesday to you too. And for those listening, Ted is going to help me continue this journey on our quest to make sense of climate. Because as we've started down the roadmap, which Mass has a roadmap to get to net zero, there's twists and turns um, and hazards along the road quite a bit. And we're going to get into some of those hazards as we talk and help me make sense of climate. So we can encourage if you want. This is, I think, our sixth episode. We've done five others. You can go deep if you want, or just fasten your seatbelts for the ride and come along and see what happens. And if you've got a question or two later, by all means, reach out and send us a question and we can address it next time. So I think the key place to start with was this IPCC did an updated report. Now we had started once upon a time with IPCC, which Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. So actually, I remembered the acronym this time because I had trouble finding it the first time. They just kept saying, report, here's the background, here's the this, 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 but they never said what IPCC was itself. (laughs) I could tell it was an acronym because it was a government agency or World Health Organization. United United Nations. United Nations, yeah, so. NGOs, they, they all have these non-governmental organizations. They all love acronyms, alphabet soup. So you're going to help me make sense of some of the alphabet soup in the climate. Right. And, and the IPCC is, yes, it's, it, again, it's this thing that is just a set of acronyms. But the thing to keep in mind is the IPCC is basically a collection of, of scientists, right? That, and I heard someone describe it as like the, the absolute gold standard of scientific effort because it's like a thousand scientists working for 10 years to reach a conclusion. Mm-hmm. And what they do, basically, what they, what, what they do is uh, they, they read other people's papers. So all these good scientists volunteer. It's all voluntary. They read as many papers about climate change that are relevant to the topic at hand, and then they synthesize that. They put it all in, the, in a blender and figure out all these different papers, slightly different conclusions. You know, what's the main sort of average conclusion? What do they get mm-hmm. to? And the IPCC has been in business. This is a UN agency. It's been in the business since like 1991. 
right? And the way it works is every five years, they roll out what are called synthesis reports, which are these big, like this latest one is 2,000 pages or something. So full mm -hmm. disclosure, I have not read it. I have not even read the 64-page executive report yet, okay? But they have these, uh, every five years, they, they roll out reports. And in fact, those reports are broken down into three different subject areas. One, which came out last December, was about the science. And then another one, the second report was about the impacts of climate change. And this mm -hmm. last one that just came out a couple of days right. ago now yeah. um, is about what are you going to do about it? Right. And again, it's, it's, it's the information is so hammered down and boiled down because different governments, the Saudi Arabians get to make a comment, the Norwegians, you know, everyone's get their oar in the water, which is why it's so hard to reach a conclusion. But, this, this, the 2022 synthesis report on what they call mitigation uh, is, is basically makes the case of, from what I've read. Again, I have not read the 2000, mm -hmm. basically right. saying, look, guys, this is a screaming emergency. We have to act now, right? Which everyone is, has, has heard before. But the IPC also says, we have all the technology that we need, right? We know what to do. Right. The thing that's preventing us from uh, taking action is politics. Yeah, and in this in this report, they were a little bit more aggressive in saying, oh, I think they're a little bit more aggressive in calling out how, you know, there are companies and countries that don't want us to take action. And that's what gets in the way of the things we know we need to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And in fact, it's it's really, I mean, from what I've seen, it even goes into this terribly named, awful, awful name uh, for this idea of called degrowth, right? Which on the face of you say, I don't want to degrowth, right? I only like right. growth, right? So degrowth or is- smart growth, something, something that's, you know, better than bad. <laughs> well, and, 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 and so long and short, the case is that the GDP, which we all use to rank how much the economy has grown, the GDP grew 3% last year, right? That is- not a good measure of people's happiness and can't growth of the GDP cannot be sustained if we're going to address climate change. Yeah. And that there's this school of thought that says, what you need to do is forget about GDP and talk about societal good. How do you take care of people? Mm. Reorient the society. And then you're not, you, so again, degrowth is this horrible, horrible name for it, but basically it's recognition that we need, we need to change the way we think about the world in order to succeed in, decarbonizing. Yeah, so anyway, long and short, IPCC report comes out. They say, hey, guys, we get everything we need. It's all politics from here mm -hmm. on out. Yeah, so three quick points, I think, to reinforce the message there, at least in terms of my making sense of what you just said. So the degrowth, clearly, these are the science folks. They've synthesized, but they haven't got the marketing folks yet to come up with the best terminology. <laughs> um, the GDP gross domestic product, not a good measure for how well we're doing. Yeah, that just simply says, and in a case where we currently have some inflation, we certainly haven't for a while. So it's been good, but we've got some recent inflation. So everybody's thinking inflation, but gross domestic product is simply that the total dollars of the economy. It doesn't necessarily say you're better off or I'm better off. And we know, in fact, post-pandemic, or even since we're still likely in the pandemic, it hasn't officially been closed yet. 
there are people that are struggling very, very much. And then the other piece I would, since it's springtime and baseball is actually starting to play, I think there was a tidbit, a headline that said, you know, there's a 38% chance of actually meeting according to the plan, some of the guidelines for net zero. Well, put that in baseball terms. Okay, a guy hitting 380, he's going to be, you know, the MVP of the year. He's got a multi-million dollar contract, but he still strikes out an awful lot. And his chances of act for us, having only a 38% chance of getting to the finish line, that's not good. <laughs> We're not playing baseball. Yeah. No, I, I mean, you're right. It, it's the, the statistics are things look bleak unless you, we really uh, in, somehow as a society, which then gets into this enormous, enormous, enormous questions. But, but so, so the first brick in this edifice that we're, we're trying to build here is the IPC says, we know what to do. We just got to do it. Mm-hmm. In a sense for Massachusetts, the good news is that Massachusetts has taken that lesson. Massachusetts as a state has, this famous roadmap we talk about all the time, the roadmap for 2030 and 2050 in the state of Massachusetts is essentially consistent with what the IPCC says the whole world has to do. So Massachusetts is heading in the right direction. They, you know, the, the, the stuff we've talked about here of, uh, I think it's 45% reduction in emission or 50% reduction, reduction in gar- emissions by 2030 and net zero by 2050, those are the right things. So we are doing it. And it comes back to, are we doing it well enough? Are we doing the right yeah. things? How well is- are we really doing it? And that's where I think we get into some of the potential hiccups or bumps in the road or twists and turns. I think one of the pieces we wanted to talk about, uh, DPU uh, produced a report that effectively allowed natural gas, which may not necessarily even be natural, but that's beside the point. Back into the plants in order to produce the electricity, it's like, wait a sec. (laughs) I mean, to to, to push your baseball analogy, not everyone's a baseball fan, but it's like, we, you know, in terms of the roadmap, we need to be hitting 0.999, right? 380 is not going to cut it. We need, it's like, we need to hit home run every time we get on, we get up to bat because, so let me tell you the story that, 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 brings us to the DPU, okay? We have the roadmap, this roadmap bill we've talked about. Recently, the Environmental League of Massachusetts put up a, um, a website that is tracking all of the commitments that were made in the roadmap bill between now and 2050. And this is essentially what you and I have been talking about doing, somehow mm-hmm. tracking the progress of the roadmap. Well, now right. there's an honest to God website with people smarter than me and actually mm-hmm. have done the homework, know all these dates. It's all listed up. It's a really a good website and we'll have the link in the show notes, right? Because yep. it's, it's very useful. Okay. So we're tracking the roadmap in Massachusetts, which is consistent with the global IPCC idea. One of the things that the roadmap bill calls for is that it, an agency in the in the Massachusetts government called the Department of Public Utilities, which is essentially in charge of making electricity or, you know, to regulate all the companies. The DPU is now, under the new roadmap law, supposed to take into account greenhouse gas reductions mm-hmm. as part of its mandate. 
So up sure. till now, we can go through this again, but up till now, the DPU has had two part. the Department of Public Utilities, a state organization, has two goals. That is to have reliable electricity and the cheapest possible electricity. And that is what they push Eversource and NSTAR. That is what the DPU is chasing the utilities to do, is to have reliable, cheap energy. Mm-hmm. Now there's this third thing been added in of reducing greenhouse gases, right. although the details of that are a little bit murky. Okay, mm-hmm. so But it, yeah. that's in the bill. And so that's <clears throat> what connects us to a discussion about this specific example where the DPU, in my opinion, has gone slightly astray and needs to be held into the light of day to see what's going on. Does that make sense? Yes, it seems to. So the other way of paraphrasing it is there are effectively the the main roadmap by PCC driven, the mass roadmap aligns with it. But then some of the implementation steps along the way seem to be taking left turns or right turns that are not necessarily going to get us where we're going. (laughs) Absolutely. You got it. You got it. So the the next chapter of the story is the following, that after the roadmap bill was passed and and some of the people in state government looked at each other and said, holy mackerel, 2050 is like tomorrow, coming very soon. We need to start planning because it's around the corner, (laughs) right around the corner. So the attorney general's office, the AGO, Maura Healy, right, she went to the DPU, the Department of Public Utilities. So remember- uh, the attorney general office is in the executive branch. It goes and makes a, a request to the DPU, which is also in the executive branch. And basically, the attorney general said, hey, DPU, I need you to produce a plan as to how Massachusetts will transition off of natural gas, because we all know that we can't have natural gas in 2050. What's the plan? Start thinking about it now. OK, mm-hmm. that's really good. That was a good, good thing in principle to do. What happened is that the DPU said, thank you, Attorney General. We will, we will take your petition under consideration. We will make something called a commission on the future of gas. Okay, so there's a couple of buzzwords if you want to track this stuff down. There's the future of gas, which is you can Google and this glossy, gorgeous, glossy website shows up. It's also something called the 20-80 docket. So if you now, if you were to really go to the DPU website, look for the docket, you can put in a number and all these PDFs fall out of various things. All right. So there's 2080 docket, future gas, it's the same thing. Plenty but of the, reading material. Plenty of re- more than you could, you know, if you can't sleep <laughs> at night, it's a good thing. Which is why we're helping website. you digest what's going on here. <laughs> right, right. This is the short, this is the short version of it, right? The short version is that the DPU is part of the future of gas went to the utility companies. Well, okay, the other, thing to, the other thing to keep in mind is that the way the DPU, the Department of Public Utilities operates is kind of like a court, right? It's, it's adjudicatory in the, in the sense that there are two sides present evidence, they can cross-examine each other, mm-hmm. they can ask questions about, is this reliable, is this cheap, right? Historically, those, are, mm-hmm. and all that, and then there's a commissioner or there's an overseer of the hearing who makes a decision based on the evidence that's presented. Right. Okay. DPU goes ahead, starts this thing up. They invite in the 
utility companies, the gas people who own the pipelines that are going to be killed. It's their ox that's going to be gored metaphorically. Right? Mm-hmm. They are the ones that are going to suffer the outcome of whatever plans are laid. So the DPU only invites in the utilities and in fact, looks at the all the enviro, the green types, the climate people, sort of like me, right? And they say, no, 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 you can't be part of this court trial we're going to have. You don't have status, right? But we're going to let you come in later on and talk about a bunch of stuff, right? Fine, fine. They go ahead a year later, the Future of Gas Commission, the 2080 docket, they finally have paid a billion dollars to consultants and they get plans for how the utilities are going to transition off gas. And lo and behold, all of those plans are very self-serving and preserve the pipelines that the gas companies are making money off of. And what the, the buzzwords, again, you'll hear this stuff if you start reading it. There's something called renewable, renewable gas, right? Which is essentially methane that they think they can harvest from uh, composting pits and waste dumps, okay? And the other really awful thing they're talking about is adding hydrogen to the natural gas so that what comes into your stove in your kitchen is a mixture of the natural gas that you're familiar with plus some hydrogen, which is a whole new ball game, right? But what it does is this is this way of saying, oh yeah, we can keep the pipes alive, the pipelines alive because all those pipelines under the street, that's what the utilities get paid to take care of. That's how they make money babysitting Mm -hmm. those pipelines, right? So they want to keep those pipelines around. And then just because it's so mind splitting, there's this other thing where the the state is paying, ready to pay something like 40 billion with a B, $40 billion to upgrade pipelines between now and the year 2040. And you say, why are we going to spend $40 billion on something that we have to retire by 2050? But the the utilities are saying, oh, we're going to use this GSEP money, this $40 billion to upgrade stuff so we can have hydrogen in the pipelines. Yeah, just, so yeah. one short, there's several articles up in the, recently and BUR and the Globe basically saying how climate activists have been frozen out of this process. It's self-serving. I, I can't say it's illegal because I'm not a lawyer, right? But it just seems like it is not aligned with the roadmap, especially in light of the fact that the roadmap puts on the DPU the responsibility to reduce greenhouse gases. Mm-hmm. What is that? I mean, so far, are you with me still? So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, because uh, the DPU should at least be somewhat familiar, because I think from an electric rate perspective, every, what, September, October, they do the review of each of the utilities in terms of their costs and then set the rate. And again, based upon the uh, reliable source and a low cost, which in those cases, obviously we want to be able to flip the switch and get electricity when we all need it. But then with that third wrinkle, obviously in terms of enforcing and reducing greenhouse gases, it gets more into the green space. It it doesn't seem to be a jiving properly. (laughs) It doesn't make a whole lot of sense that they're continuing to do this when in fact, We know, and we've talked about this other pilot in Framingham with heat, whereby those pipelines could be repurposed to send in geothermal into the houses instead of this other strange mixture of 
I mean, methane is still bad, period. Hydrogen, people have heard of that. That's That can be dangerous. <laughs> and they're putting the two together back into the house. Ah. Right. I, I, yes, and, and the whole question of the geothermal water that could be in that pipe instead of the gas and hydrogen, fascinating. But But I think one of the interesting, you know, it's kind of geeky, but it is, it's, it, uh, it's an interesting thing is that there are things called intervener status, right? So being an intervener, so in this 2080 docket, or in any of the cases that come to the DPU, you can petition and ask to be an intervener. And if you, if the DPU grants you standing as a legitimate uh, party to the, whatever is being decided, mm -hmm. um, then you can cross-examine Right. You can ask questions. You can insist on what's called discovery. I mean, you've heard about this with Trump and yeah, whatnot, who, sure. who discover you getting the evidence. Right. Yeah. If you're not an intervener, all you can do is cry in the wilderness. Right. right. And so the whole process of by which intervener status is granted is an interesting side note. And I think it all rolls up to the point you were making is that the alignment of all of our state government and all these processes has to support the roadmap to the extent we see that the processes are bumping into each other and mm -hmm. slowing progress on the roadmap, they need to be rethought. Right. Right. So. Right. And that's where Mara Healy to her role, not so much her as a person, but her role as attorney general, she's the people's lawyer. So she should be on our behalf looking at, okay, the government's supposed to be doing this. How are you actually going to do so? And thereby they produce this report that now as we're reading it saying like, uh, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> this doesn't sound like you're going to do what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> and there was actually just yesterday, there was a very interesting hearing for the Massachusetts legislature run by Senator Cream, C-R-E-E-M. I think somewhere on the North shore to basically to, 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 talk about this 2080 docket and what what kind of stuff's going on and what and i think mm -hmm. the, the tweet i saw was she was saying she was saying look there needs to be some legislative intervention here because this docket this particular case has gone off the rails so mm -hmm. so anyway th th there's the pushback now from an environmentalists saying they need to be included in this process it's not clear to me they're going to get satisfaction because the dpu is the way I phrase it, it's a faceless bureaucracy, right? We say mm -hmm. the DPU did this as if like the moon did something, you know, right. as if these things have volition <laughs> on this. The DPU is composed of people. And I think in order to understand, again, from my own humble perspective, what I see is that there are pressures on the people in the DPU in the Department of Environmental Resources, in the mess, you know, all of these, there are pressures on them from industry and from outside interests that seem to be carrying the day in the face of the, pro the protests and demands of environmentalists. And the question is, what is the real force structure? What is the, what are the pressures on these guys that make, make it an outcome where the utilities get to write their own paycheck and the rest of us get to watch. I mean, what's going on there? So I, yeah. I, I thought it was, it would be interesting to briefly discuss what is the sort of structure of the, the governmental structure of energy and environment issues in the state of Massachusetts, right? What, what do people need to know how this stuff all comes together? That mm -hmm. makes sense. 
Okay. Yes. No, I think I think it does. And certainly I have personally over my corporate and personal and private career has been I've been a process oriented person. So if there's a process, there's a beginning and an end and there's inputs and outputs and there's got to be a feedback loop, et cetera, et cetera. In order to have a good sustainable process, do you borrow that term? Um, another analogy to look at it is kind of a three-legged stool. And any particular process, any business, is a, it may be multiple processes, but it's a three-legged stool, people, process, and technology. So you've got the process, i.e. the regulations, inter- the people who administer that, and then the technology, kind of the billing process and or the, the Zoom connections to enable an open hearing, et cetera. Those things need to balance. And we've seen from time to time, a three-legged stool is certainly hard to balance. If there's not a perfect balance, then if it's something between the process that's not working or there's been a change, then the people have to accommodate to help make it work. In some cases, and I think we may be drifting towards this kind of idea that maybe the people in the process aren't the right people in the process. (laughs) Maybe some of their background is a little bit other than, quote, for the people, for the commonwealth. Who knows? We'll see. Or, or I mean, I, I would say that the, the people that will be, I mean, I, I will be sort of talking about, I think are, are acting in good faith. And I think this, in some sense, I think the DPU system is working just fine for the people it, they think they're trying to serve, right? I mean, mm. if it, the DPU is working just fine for the utilities, right? It's doing its best to make reliable power and cheap power, but you know, the voices that are missing from that process that should be introduced. So mm-hmm. the way the way all this, the way to think about this from the t- very top down in Massachusetts is that we have a governor, okay? So we right now we have Governor Baker. We don't have to spend too much time on Governor Baker, but just remember that it was like 2010, he didn't believe in climate change and he had to be essentially dragged to sign the climate roadmap bill, right? He vetoed it a couple of times. He finally mm-hmm. signed it, you know, on right. the address. Right. Anyway, Baker is Baker, right? Uh, he'll be there or gone, whatever. Below Baker, so Baker's the executive. Below Baker is something called the Executive Office of Environment and Energy, the Executive Affairs, the E-O-E-E-A, Executive Office of Energy and Environmental Affairs. More okay? of that alphabet soup we were talking about. More alphabet soup, yeah, right? It's, uh, that's why it's hard to follow because the, 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 the soup is so thick. Right? Mm-hmm. In charge of the Executive Office of Energy and Environmental Affairs is um, Theo Hardiris, okay? She is... On her bio, a client is, is an environmentalist, right? She's got degrees in environmentalism. She's her Twitter hashtag is Climate Kate. She is in charge of the energy, the Executive Office of Energy and Environmental Affairs. And just to be clear, the energy the, the Executive Office of Energy and Environmental Affairs covers a lot of ground. So Ms. Theoharides is in charge of, get this, the Massachusetts Water Resources Authority. She's in charge of the Energy Facility Siting Board. The Energy Facility Siting Board is the one who decides where your power plant, where your substation, where your compressor is going to go. She oversees the Department of Agricultural Resources. And 
of Conservation and Recreation. DCR, yes. DCR, the Department of Fish and Game, right? Um, and the, the Massachusetts Environmental Policy Act Office, the MEPA, they're the ones who do the environmental impact statements. Right? Sure. Okay. Under her. But yeah. then the, for our purposes, the big ones are that she is in charge of the Department of Environmental Protection, the Department of Energy Resources, DOER, and lo and behold, the Department of Public Utilities. Right. right. That is so it's all moment. in her span of control. Right. Yep. That's what that's the executive office. She corrals all those butterflies and is supposed to make them fly the right way. Okay. Mm-hmm. But that is an enormous mandate. Um uh so we would just say leave uh Catherine Theo Harides there, right? She's in charge of it. She has all this stuff underneath her. Mm-hmm. Below that is the you know, in, in the thing that we're talking about now, because this 2080, 2080 docket, docket is right. the DP DPU. Okay, so we're talking about one of the seven major agencies that's overseen by the this executive office. The DPU, let me just read you what the DPU is about. Right. This is from the DPU website, right? Mm -hmm. We can provide links to all this. The DPU is an adjudicatory agency overseen by a three-member commission. It's responsible for the oversight of investor-owned electric power, natural gas, and water utilities. And so the idea of investor-owned is important, right? Because the investor-owned, once you say investor-owned, it means somebody, there's a stakeholder somewhere, a, a shareholder somewhere that wants a quarterly return. Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. Um, the DPU was charged with developing alternatives to traditional regulation, monitoring service quality. Blah 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 blah. So, and here I bolded the mission of the DPU. Okay, the mission of this Department of Public Utilities is to ensure that customers' rights are protected, and that utility companies are providing the most reliable service at the lowest possible cost. Okay, so this is, comes back to this is the mandate. This is the state legislative mandate that they've been operating under for the last 50 years. That's and then their reason little, to be. Yep. Their reason to be. And then the, par- the, the last sentence in this little paragraph says, the DPU seeks to promote safety, security, reliability of service, affordability, equity, and greenhouse gas emissions reductions. So the greenhouse gas emissions reductions, which is very, very important. That's the last four words in this little descriptive paragraph mm-hmm. and it's those the, that the seeking to promote greenhouse gas reductions that has now been by law as of last late last year right part of the dpu's mandate which should be equivalent to reliable service and <laughs> lowest cost right mm-hmm. but are we there yet right <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, even from a website update perspective, it looks like they simply added that at the end rather than revising it to your point so that it's kind of the trio instead of the duo. <laughs> right. And, and, and it's, again, these things are all human agencies, right? Humans are, humans are humans, right? And we're all, I, over the course of time, these agencies have become, I think, and this is my opinion that I'm asserting, right, that they become captured, right? That there's kind of a revolving door between the utilities and the DPU. They get jobs back and forth, one to another. They're all very cozy and it's not illegal, right? But if, you're, if you've been working with your friends for 30 years between re- regulating them and planning new plans, it's hard. 
it's hard to turn around and say, oh, no, you're going to be put out of business now, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not a happy thing for any human to do. So revamping and revitalizing what the mission, the DNA of the DPU is, is going to take time and public pressure. Mm -hmm. And so in order to, uh, because I couldn't help myself but go down the next rabbit hole, right? Keep in mind where we <laughs> are. We started out with the IPCC roadmap. The Massachusetts roadmap matches the sort of global. So the roadmap's good enough. We're talking about the implementation of the roadmap. When you look at the implementation of the Massachusetts roadmap, you see these little flies in the ointment, DP, DPU, little fly in this whole thing. And it has to do with how are we actually going to get away from natural gas by 2050, right? And you say, how come the DPU is so loath to embrace the climate question? Right. What is what's the why the reticence? Right. Mm. And so what I, I what I've got is the bio of the from the website of these three commissioners of the DPU. Again, this is a public knowledge. It's not nothing, nothing I'm making up. Right. Mm. What they so the, the chairman of the DPU, the chairman of the board of commissioners of the Department of Public Utility. Right. Which is as close as you come to a face on this bureaucracy. Right. right. His name is Matthew Nelson, right? Uh, and briefly, he joined, he became the chair of this commission in February 2019. And get this. So Nelson began his energy career at the Department of Public Utilities in 2007 in the Natural Gas Division. Fine, fine. So he joined the DPU in 2007. Subsequently, not sure when. Nelson served as the supervisor of regulatory policy and planning for Eversource Energy. Right, so from government, he went private sector. He went to Eversource Energy, right? Right. And then, then he came back to the department, right? And so is that, again, this is an, I'm sure he's an honest man, right? But his heart is in using natural gas. And what do they say? It's like, uh, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if this is the life you've lived, then of course you're going to protect that. And so, and there's a, there's two other commissioners named Robert Hayden, who was a lawyer. He was a lawyer. And then Cecile Frazier, who again is a lawyer, because this is the adjudicatory sort of hearing court-like setup, right? They need lawyers. Right. Uh, and she's worked in um, energy and utility industry. So, I mean, I guess... <sighs> Again, there's no, I think the call is to say that if Massachusetts wants to achieve its goals, then there is a bureaucracy that has, as I said before, DNA. There are people in it that have long experience with the gas industry. That's what they understand. That's how they view the world. Fair enough. Nothing illegal, (laughs) but somehow that they need to be leavened with other people. We need to be understanding what the pressures on the DPU are that would allow it to go forward with this sort of 2080 docket that seems from the outside, seems like it's a gift to the utilities especially in light of the fact that we need to make big changes over the next coming decades. Yeah. Especially in light of the the fact that, as you mentioned earlier, to tie it off, I think the 2080 docket was created without the other side's input. So, you know, had it been at least more open, 
then potentially it would have come out a little better. Who knows? But to the extent that it wasn't even open to the other side to uh, intervene, to pick up to that term, to uh, remind folks of that um, and the intervener status, they weren't even allowed to the table to create the docket. Now we're creating all the questions and it's like, hmm, this doesn't look good. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's, it's, I mean, if you have faith that the DPU, that the, not, I, I don't mean to pick on the DPU, but have faith that this bureaucracy is listening, right? It, it gets hard to believe that your voice is worth, worth anything. And so all of a sudden you say, well, wait a minute, what's really, really, really going on here, right? I can mm -hmm. talk to them blue in the face. They mm -hmm. don't care, right? And what is that? What do they care about, right? And let's understand that. And, and maybe that's your leverage point to talk about how we need to improve the system. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Trying to make sense of it all. Yeah, I, so uh, I think you had mentioned earlier, and there's obviously there's some work between now and then that'll still happen, but there's there had been uh, a bunch of items even on the uh, housing stretch code that was out for comment. That's coming back, I think, in a June, July timeframe. Um, between now and then, clearly there's certainly some awareness, at least um, some questions to be asked as to, is this the way we're supposed to be going? Um, potentially going back through the attorney general's office to the extent that they've been asking some questions um, on the 2080 docket. And that would still be an avenue for us to try and go to the extent that that office is at least our legal office um, within the state government. And we're dealing with bureaucracies. Things will move slowly, but you know, they'll at least I, move. I think that with the, this 2880 docket, the future of gas, there, what has happened is that the DPU has released its report in quotation marks, mm -hmm. right? And as again, I mean, the, my snide side says it was a report written by the utilities for their own benefit, but mm -hmm. is a report. Now they have to have, I think, I believe there's going to be public comment on it. Now, I'm not sure exactly what those windows are, but right. if someone wanted to make a comment and what, ha what happens is they, they have to respond to the comments. Right. And in a sense, they don't come back to you. They oftentimes amalgate a bunch of similar comments. Or right. Whatever. Right. But the number of comments they get is a indicator that people are paying attention. It sometimes sometimes gets the attention of the the bureaucracy. So something mm -hmm. people can do is to just like a, an email address. It's on a website. Uh, I can try. I don't so say I don't think it exists quite yet, but that's what's coming. That's what to be looking for to make a comment on this future of gas thing. That'll be something we'll share. So that those listening, be aware, be patient. As soon as we have that link, we'll share it so that you right. can jump in with a comment as we go. And just from a nomenclature perspective, I mean, there's, there's so many little names that once you somebody says it, then you know what's going on. This docket, this DPU thing, it's called the future of gas. Okay, mm -hmm. That's the name it's gone under. There is there is a parallel in parallel. There's a bill in front of the Massachusetts legislature, right? Which you, which you can lobby. You can call your, your representative. About. That mm -hmm. bill is called the future of heat. Future okay, of so heat. you get the future of gas. You get the future of heat. The future of heat bill is the one that is pushing the 
geothermal warm water through the pipes into your house. That mm -hmm. process is, is essentially legalizing and, and facilitating that very good. So the future of heat is a good bill. We want that to pass, mm -hmm. right? The future of gas thing is suspect and needs to be looked at very carefully. So you might see those two future of, don't confuse them, right? Future of yeah. gas, future of heat. We want the future of heat bill because that's going to lot. In fact, we have a podcast I can send to you about what's in the future of heat bill, right? That we did under the climate minute heading, right? Mm -hmm. Explaining, you know, all of the good things that are in the future of heat bill. And that's also something that people can take action on, right? Yep. Indeed. As we try to make sense of it all, there are some actions, <laughs> there is some hope so we can get away from obviously the headlines that we continue to see in terms of extreme weather here and there. Um, it, we're, we're in it until we fix it. And that's where getting back to the IPCC report, the time to act is now <laughs> and uh we need to step to the plate instead of hitting 380 and getting a million dollar contract. We need to hit that hit that hit that hundred percent line um on each of these challenges because th I'm sure there's more that'll be coming at us, but the road is not that long. Yeah. Well thank you for taking some time today to share some insights so that we can make sense of climate. Hopefully the folks will be able to uh follow along as I've been trying to follow along and I think I've managed to the end <laughs> pretty well. So hopefully they have as well. And a simple plug as well, we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.